If you're tired of the superficial and you're craving real conversation about life, relationships, fears, doubts, and the divine in the middle of it, this is the place for you. My name is Anna Dimmel, and I'm a blogger, writer, and former pastor. And it's my passion to build bridges, not walls, through honest, real conversation and connection. And I want that for you. This is the show that will help you do that and give you not only inspiration and connection, but will help you leave the superficial for good and form the real connections you're craving. Your story matters, and I'm so glad you're here. Welcome. Hi there. Welcome to the Behind the Mirror podcast. I am Anna Dimmel, and I am so happy that you are joining this 2019 year with us. Last week was my first episode of the year, and I got to chat with my four children and let you in on the inner dynamics of my house. So if you missed that episode and you're curious what what life is like with me and my kids, check out that episode. It was a fun way to start the new year. This week, I'm joined by a special guest, Rachel Parsons, and you may not know that name, but you definitely will by the end of this show. Rachel Parsons, I discovered on a PBS episode of her show where she is a one-woman show who travels the world videoing her experiences in different cultures and in different ways of life all around the globe. It's so impressive. And when I saw her show, I'd watched a few episodes and I was like, I have got to connect with this person. She's just fascinating to me. So I looked her up online. I reached out and sure enough, she agreed to come on the show. So I get to interview this person who has this perspective of the world that not many of us get to have because she has seen so many different places with so many different cultures and dynamics and ways of life that most of us have not had the privilege of being invited into. One of the things that I picked her brain about was how we as Americans, and especially those of us who've grown up in this evangelical world, how we can overcome our fears of people who are different than us, how we can begin the conversations of getting to know people who come from different backgrounds and come from different ways of life. And how do we bridge those gaps? How do we make those connections happen? She gives such great advice. It was such a great conversation, and by the end of it, I felt like I had a new friend. In fact, after we quit recording, we continued to talk for like ever afterwards, and I should have just kept rolling because the conversation got so good. But before we dig into this episode, I would like to give a shout out to my Patreons. You guys are awesome, and I hope that you all heard your personal thank you for my kiddos last week because they thanked each of you personally. You guys are the backbone of this project and of this work, and I could not be doing this without your support. So thank you, thank you, thank you. If you are interested in supporting this show, you can go to my website, justajesusfollower.com, and click on the button Patreon. All the information you would need to know is on that page. So without any further ado, let me introduce you to my new friend, Rachel Parsons. Here we go. Hello and welcome back to the Behind the Mirror podcast. Today I'm joined by Rachel Parsons, who is a solo world traveler. And she films her travels, which I've seen on PBS, and you can catch her show on your public television station or stream on Amazon. But when she's not traveling, she is studying at the University of Southern California, working on her degree in journalism. So hello, Rachel. Hi, Anna. Thanks for having me. Yes, I am so excited to get to talk to you and pick your brain. And you have to tell me, because I remember the first time I saw your show, I was like, who is this badass chick who's like traveling all by herself all over the world? Like, how did you get into this? I started in 2006, uh, way before the show was even an idea. Um, And I remember it's actually... The short version is it started in my tax accountant's office that year. I had a return coming and he, every year, this man saw him for years. He said, what are you going to do with it this year? And he 
his rule was that you had to do something fun. Now, how many people actually paid attention to that? I don't know. But I said, of course, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to pay bills. I'm going to do whatever. And he said, no, you have to do something fun. And I thought, well, okay, fine. I wanted to go to Italy for a while and I'd never been. And I thought, fine, I'll go to Italy. I'll do that. That'll be fun. And when it came time to do it later that fall, uh, nobody could go with me or at least nobody that I really wanted to spend three weeks with nonstop. (laughs) So uh, I had booked the ticket and no one could go. And I thought, well, big deal. I'm not going to not go, go see the places I want to see and do some of the things I want to do because nobody can go. Uh, And that's what started it. I spent three weeks alone in Italy in the fall of, I think it was 2006. And uh, the show followed a couple of years later as a web series. Wow. And so am I correct? And I'm, I'm just guessing here, you film, like you don't take a crew with you or do you? No, no, not at all. Not for this series. Um, I take two small video cameras and two quite lightweight tripods and I cram them into my checked bag uh, and I film it all myself. And in the beginning, it was filmed really badly all myself. So I had no idea what I was doing, but um I have learned over the years and uh, no, it's true. Once in a while I have a viewer write in and say, Oh, you've got a makeup person or, Oh, you've got a this or, Oh, you've got a that. And uh, I don't have any of that. It's, it really is just me. And anytime anybody else is holding or operating that camera, it's someone that I have met out there who, who wants to help me or be in the series. Half the time when you see someone else in the series that I've met, um, at some point, I hand the camera to them and say, look, point at this direction and, and sort of make sure my, my face is in there. Wow. And so then do you do all the editing yourself too? Yes, I do. Oh. And that, I, <laughs> that's my least favorite part. I bet. Because it's I a bet. Desk, yeah. It's a desk job. It's a good creative desk job, but it's a desk job. And that's what I really don't like. However, that's where all the, the control is. I mean, that's what yeah. makes the show. Otherwise. Uh, I think you can relate, you know, we just end up having a lot of expensive home videos in my case, if, <laughs> if there was no editing team. Um, so yes, I got lucky. And for part of the second season, another editor that I know was, was, uh, was in between gigs and he did help some, which was a fantastic luxury. But, but when it's all said and done, it, it means that the show lives and dies with me and I have all the creative control. That's amazing. It is so impressive to me. See, this is why I wanted to have you on the show. I'm like, who is this person? This is just amazing. So, okay, for those who haven't seen your show, give like a quick rundown of the places you've traveled to. Uh, The first season was heavy in Latin America um, with a couple of episodes in South Africa and one really oddball episode that grew out of the original web series in, in England. The second, uh, the second series, a short version of which went to public television this last year, uh, was all in Southeast Asia, and there will be another four episodes coming from Southeast Asia in the next year or so as well. In fact, I've got to finish one of the episodes in, uh, I filmed in Laos tomorrow <laughs> to get it onto Amazon. Wow. Um, yeah, it's been a lot of fun, but it's all, they're all places that I wanted to go. They're I do my best, (laughs) this may sound tacky, but I do my best not to consider what the viewers want. Um, They're all places that I have genuinely been curious about and wanted to experience. And that's, I hope, what reads on camera and what keeps it interesting for everyone else, because I, I really do want to be there and want to experience those places. Well, and that comes through. I, I will say that from watching, it comes through. And one of the things that first struck me when I saw your show was your knowledge of the history and the different cultures. And you seem to be very moved by the stories of the people. And so I, I was curious what part that plays as your show is developing these people that you connect with and the cultures they come from. How does that all come together for you? Uh, it's interesting. It's for starters, to address the first part of, of your statement, I do as much um, I do as much research as I can on a place before I go. So I really I try to have some context and some background before I get there. Um, the rest of it is it, the people that end up in the series that I, I I either profile or tag along with really are the heart and soul of it. 
um, because a half hour of me running around talking at you and seeing sights is not going to be entertaining. <laughs> um, I don't think it's going to grab many people, but it all comes together for me when I get to a place and have someone open their home to me uh, or see me sitting alone in a restaurant and invite me over to their table. Or, I mean, people have total strangers and it's not an exaggeration. And I do, um, I do very little in the way of trying to get a hold of people in advance until I get to a place. Uh, but people really do open their homes and their families and their lives in a very intimate way. And it all starts to come together to me when I can sit in that space with them and, and really listen and really experience uh, them and uh, where they come from and, and all kinds of details of their lives that otherwise just you would never know. Right. Well, and, and I love that part of your show because you do invite the viewer into this like hidden world that maybe you wouldn't see just watching any other travel show. Because like you said, you are like face to face one-on-one with people who are in a totally different world than we are sitting here on our couches watching. (laughs) And so I'm curious, do you have any favorites? Like, like, was there one particular show or one particular moment with a family that just gripped you and you haven't forgotten it? Oh gosh. There have been Many, 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 yeah. Uh, One springs to mind. One is a little bit more fun, and then there's some other more poignant ones. But uh, in the Durban, South Africa episode, I wanted to focus on the the South African population of Indian descent there, half a million people who had been brought over from India during uh, Dutch and British colonial eras, and their descendants are there. And um, the community is amazingly rich and robust. So I found the two brothers through couchsurfing.org that I ended up staying with and filming. And the first night I was there, uh, Nishen said, do you like Indian food? So I love Indian food. <laughs> he said, great. I know the perfect spot. And we drove into the suburb of Phoenix, someplace no one else would have ever been as a traveler. I mean, mm-hmm. it's not where anybody would go. And we stopped at a gas station and I thought we were just stopping for gas. And he said, come on. And we got out. And that one of the first scenes in that episode is, is us sitting in a gas station, eating Indian food that this tiny shriveled, you know, granny had made in the back of this gas station. It was one of the best meals I've ever had in my life. But oh my gosh. Uh, <laughs> but that way, as, as weird and odd as it seemed, uh, one, he was right. It was some of the best Indian food I've ever had. And that was the kind of thing that you're never going to get ever from tour guides, from, you know, it's just, yeah, the tiny little things you find in these tiny corners of sometimes enormous cities, uh, that's what I get the biggest kick out of. And being there with with people who want to share that, not somebody who who looks at me and goes, okay, well, great, she's going to want to see you know, the, the big sites are X, Y, and Z, the people who go here, come on, he, he, let's go over here. I'll, I'll show you this. I'll show you my favorite thing. Mm-hmm. And then they do. Oh, I love that. You had me at Indian food, by the way. I'm a huge <laughs> Indian food fan. And yeah. just hearing that I was like, what? A gas station? So am I. I know. And that's exactly what I thought too. I thought we're just getting some gas, right? And no, no, wow. it wasn't. But it was, um, uh, it was wonderful because then you, you really do walk into places with people and you realize that um, you're, you're in on their secret. <laughs> and they, yes. of course, then realize that thousands of people back home are now in on their secret too. <laughs> but um, but it, it's, that's what I get the biggest kick out of. Well, and you gain their trust too because you're you're living with them. And like you said, the whole couch surfing thing, like you're a part of their every day. And so mm-hmm. I'm sure that gets you access to – what their world really is like, rather than, like you said, the touristy view, because you're connecting with people and families doing everyday life in everyday real scenarios. It's amazing. Yeah, it is. Um, and just, yeah, I, it's sometimes I find myself, I understand in an audio podcast being speechless is probably a detriment, but, uh, <laughs> um, but I do, I was in, uh, when I was in Hanoi, Vietnam, and you saw this in the Hanoi episode, well, you saw the beginning of the evening in the Hanoi episode because I didn't film the second part of it. I went to visit um, 
two young men who run a, a motorcycle club, a motorbike club for repairing motorbikes. And it's something they do as a hobby and they built their own community around this. Um, but the, the place where they tended to work was on uh, one of their family's um, properties. And when we were all done filming, we're done with the segment, they invited me to stay for dinner. And, uh, and I got to sit with what I understand is just a typical Vietnamese family having a typical, you know, like Wednesday night dinner and this crazy American, they had no idea was going to show up, showed up. Um, but they didn't blink and they invited me right in. And, Mm. uh, um, it just, it really is the best parts of, of humanity that you experience when you get out there and they do trust. And one of the, one of the most nerve wracking phases of finishing any episode is showing it to the people who are in it. Oh, I Um, bet. (laughs) Uh, thankfully I have never had anyone who is unhappy with any of it. I have, I have only ever gotten good feedback from the people who are in it. Um, but I do my very best to present things as they are, as they happen. Um, not to manipulate anyone out there and, and really take them whatever it happens to be or whatever scenario I find myself in seriously. My guidelines for the show are, you know, as far as I go, very few jokes are pointed toward my subject unless they're in on it and they're part of it and they, and they're, and they're, they're on board. Um, But it's, you know, the, the guidelines are only make fun of me, you know, never ridicule someone's culture or uh, context because that's not why I'm out there Mm -hmm. Uh, and and just be honest Mm. I just feel like that could be a mantra for people here (laughs) and how we treat each other here (laughs) like that's just so good that is so good it's hard to it's sometimes hard to remember and I even experience that uh, when I come back and I can be, sometimes I'm back here in the States for a year or two between filming these seasons or, or collections of episodes. And it's something that even I forget. It's something that when I travel, uh, it's at the, the forefront of my mind. You know, check the judgment at the airport. Uh, look at it really, for me, from an anthropologist's point of view, um, look at it through kind of cross-cultural comparison and just be there and experience them and that place and those situations. But I come back here and we all know, especially over the last couple of years, how difficult it is, particularly with our media, um, to not get triggered and set off and get angry and pissed off right. when you when you perceive viewpoints that are drastically different from your own. And I say perceive because uh, we're all a lot more alike mm-hmm. than we are different. That's one of the core philosophies that I, I developed and, and wholeheartedly believe from all these years of traveling. But that's hard to remember and it's hard to keep in mind when you think, oh, well, this group of people, they're out to get me and my way of life and they hate me and I hate them and we're all just going to go you know, like suck our thumbs and sit in our own corners. <laughs> um, so it's something that is an active practice, even for me when I come back home. And, you know, you find social or political points of view that that you disagree with it's sometimes just it's hard to just say i disagree it's hard not to get you know sucked further into that um angry grumpy tunnel vision place oh it's so true and and you and i emailed back and forth for a while now before we actually got to record this episode and i think i shared with you a bit of my background which is you know, you're very traditional evangelical conservative, right, was how I was raised. And a lot of my listeners share a similar background. And like me, a lot of my listeners have left that space and are now venturing out into the rest of the world. And, you know, when you're in that evangelical bubble here in America, you you often aren't exposed to different world religions or different cultures. And one of the favorite things that I've done is exploring other practicing religions because it was something I never had exposure to before. And so you, you know, traveling and seeing all these different ways of life and all of these different cultures and way of practicing their own faith and whatnot, can you think of things that have maybe stood out to you about the different ways cultures practice religions? Like 
Are there similarities? Are they all based in like family traditions or just are they all totally different? Like I'm just fascinated because like I said, I didn't have the privilege of getting exposed to this stuff growing up. So tell us, tell us all the things. (laughs) (laughs) All all at once. Um, There are the major similarities and uh, editing the episode I'm editing on now in Laos, uh, where like much of Southeast Asia, Theravada Buddhism is predominant. Um, There are a lot of similarities. There really are. Um, In fact, I was just cutting a scene where the morning, this is a, a daily practice in Laos and throughout many, many, many cities and towns in Southeast Asia. It's called uh, Takbat. And Takbat is the daily giving of alms. So lay people who are not Buddhists line the streets outside of temples, hundreds and hundreds and thousands of temples through the region every morning before dawn uh, because the monks come out in, um, they come out in a walking meditation and they go down the line and people, lay people, give them offerings of food. And this mm. happens every day at sunup. I mean, it's age, age, centuries, thousands of years old at this point. Um, but things, the universal things like that, like the giving of alms or the, the giving of, of food or sustenance uh, or care, generally, I guess it falls under the heading of care to, um, to groups of people within the society, in this case, you know, renunciants and monks, um, to support them and sustain them so that they can do their, uh, their work um, in the ashrams and in the wats or temples. Um, that kind of, of just giving with no expectation of anything in return, that I have noticed is pretty darn universal. Uh, there are practices within Hinduism that observe the same thing. Alms, obviously, um, within Christianity, I was, it reminded me somewhat of, of Catholicism uh, and any Christian sects that um, you practice the, the giving of, of whatever it is, be it money or food or, or goods, uh, to sustain a, a monastic or a, um, a church culture are pretty universal. So like deep down, the, the basics of what I understand from Christianity, though, is not raised in the tradition. Um, I have seen the same, the same basic values of, of generosity and support through virtually every other faith I've encountered out there. Wow. That's beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. And, um, I'm curious, when you are in different cultures, because I've traveled some, but sincerely nothing to the degree as you have. So I know your perspectives are just so much richer. How have you seen different religions coexist? Truthfully, there is no other country I've been to where so many different religions coexist as the United States. So we see examples of it, good examples of it every day. Um, we may not be able to, to readily pick them out, but particularly if you're in one of the larger cities, you're surrounded by multiple faiths and multiple religions and practices, and they're all getting along just fine, or our daily lives would be a lot worse, and we'd know it right, right away. Um, that said, it's it's because there are places where, and I have been in some countries where people weren't getting along, and it was a division along sectarian lines and religious lines. Um, But by and large, I think we need to remind ourselves daily that just about everybody does get along on some level, or we would see massive evidence of of much more damage and destruction um, than we do frankly. That's such a good point. And I, I I loved what you said, how we're all so much more alike than we are different. And, and I know when you step inside of different ways of life, you see that up close and personal, that we all have similar fears and similar hopes and similar needs and the basic bones of humanity is very much the same. But like you said, with our media here and with tension, <laughs> it can be difficult to remember that. And and I know that that is something maybe unique to America. I'm not sure. Um, but it is such a polarizing environment on a lot of levels. So I was curious how other cultures maybe handle that, that tension. But like you said, maybe 
there aren't as many cultures like ours that are such a melting pot. There really aren't. I mean, there are there are other um, there are certainly other countries where cultures exist just fine. Um, any country, in my experience, that was touched by any kind of European colonialism um, has different cultures and different religions. Full stop. Some of those get along better than others. Uh, but Durban, actually South Africa, is a decent example of that. Um, because there are, especially because of the uh, the Indo-South African population, um, Durban's a pretty good melting pot of uh, Hindu and Muslim and Christianity and um, several other things. I mean, you know, Gandhi practiced law there for years before going back and starting the movement in India that he ended up uh, leading. So it happens. There are plenty of places where everybody generally gets along. Um, but then, of course, that doesn't sell a lot of advertising. That doesn't, <laughs> that doesn't pay for a lot of newspaper ads or online ads. Um, so what media, and, and I have noticed this, unfortunately, throughout the world, Western media tends to, it's not just the United States, Western media tends to focus on the divisions and, um, and the problems mm-hmm. much more because that's what tends to keep us turning the TV on, picking up the newspaper or going to the website. Uh, and, and as an industry, they need people to do that. Yeah. Gosh, that's so true. That's such a good reminder. And, and all of us are guilty of getting sucked into it too, because it's so prevalent and it's so loud. And one of my favorite things to do in my house is like unplug from all the media, from all the news because you just walk away and you're just you're either angry or you're depressed or you're just mm-hmm. overwhelmed or you're just like yeah all hope is lost you know because yeah, it's exactly. just so loud it's you so loud your hands. Yeah. yes <laughs> i uh yeah i do and i understand and you you just say i i am studying journalism at the moment and uh i fully understand <laughs> we've got some problems um but it's can't urge people enough to, like you do, turn it off and, and physically go somewhere in your own town or your own city or your own neighborhood. Go have an experience in a culture completely different than the one that you live in, because chances are you live in a place where there are other cultures. Mm-hmm. It's hard not to find that these days. Um, and don't put yourself in danger. I never tell people to find the, you know, <laughs> the most dangerous part of their city and head over in the middle of the night. That's not what it's about. Um, it's about going into a neighborhood where people look nothing like you and just have an ice cream or go sit and have a beer or have a meal. Or, you know, if there's a temple or a mosque or a synagogue or whatever that has an introduction to whatever it, it happens to teach class, go take that. Um, I ended up this year earlier, well, this last year now, um, going to a Mormon service uh, in Utah. I'd never been to one before in my life. And uh, it's fascinating. But part of getting over that that knee-jerk reaction we all have to the media when it reports on a group that we don't understand and we sort of want to punch in the nose um, is to go try to have an experience with that group. And I'm not telling you you're going to fall in love with them not telling you everybody's going to be your best buddy from here on out, but it will, it will make, it it will make you understand the context a little more. And when we understand the context of a person or a people uh, and their background, it makes those knee jerk reactions lessen. And it's very hard to just blindly hate or get angry about something um, when you've had a little bit of experience, because it's that understanding that tends to lead to tolerance. If we're lucky, respect, but it, but that's not what's required. It's, it's tolerance that we need to at least hit first. Oh, I love that. That's so good. And I think a lot of people want that truthfully, but I, I, do too. I think there's this fear of, well, what happens if I, if I like, if I go to a Hindu temple, for instance, there's one right down the street for me. And I've thought about visiting truthfully because I know nothing about that, that culture or that religion. I know nothing, nothing about it. And so I thought, well, I mean, if I go in, would they like shoo me out? Like, how does this work? Like, and I think a lot of people truly, because we're so um, uneducated 
in different cultures and different ways of practicing their faith, we don't know what to expect. And so there's that fear of the unknown that mm-hmm. is like, are are other cultures even welcome to someone from the outside? And I know you face this all the time when you travel. So how do you like make the initial contact without being pushed out? <laughs> um, I have never had anybody react negatively or even hesitantly toward my presence. But it's because I, I hope, and I hope this comes across, I do my best to approach them with, um, with honest, um, what's the word? I'm losing it here. <laughs> I've been in <laughs> editing land for days now. Um, uh, um, no, come on. What is the word? Curiosity. That's what it is. Um, okay. I do my very best to approach any person or culture with honest curiosity. And I don't mean naivete. I don't mean, you know, don't pay attention to your surroundings and, and be silly and put yourself in awkward spots. I mean, just approach people with honest curiosity because they're going to be curious about you. Mm. If, if you, I could say, if you walked into the Hindu temple down the street, they are going to look at you with as much curiosity <laughs> as, as you're going to be feeling toward them. Uh, and that's common ground. It may feel like funny, awkward common ground, but it is. Um, So I have never had anybody push me out or or reject me. Even the people that I just ambush, even people I I show up in, you know, bars or restaurants and strike up conversations and say, you know, the most naive things and ask the most naive questions. But I have never had anybody who was hesitant to answer those things because chances are if I've been curious about it or had a misconception a lot of other people out there have and the person in that culture is happy to clear it up Mm, that's so true they tend to be yeah I mean nobody really wants people thinking wrong things about them or their group right so yeah I've never had a problem that's so true one of my recent friends and he's become a very close friend of mine he's Muslim that's his background and I I felt so silly with some of the questions I was asking him. And I was like, at any point, if I'm offending you, please tell me. But I just, I don't know the answers to these things. And here you are. So answer my questions. And yeah. and you're right. He loved it. He was like, okay, let me set some things straight for you. And I was so appreciative of that and so thankful for his his candid transparency. He was so open. And the conversation has gone back and forth for a long time now of now him asking me about my background of things he doesn't understand about me. And it's been become a beautiful friendship, but you're right. We had to get over that initial curiosity of, okay, let's just get this out of the gate. <laughs> Help me understand what's up with this. Why is this this way? And I, I, I hadn't even thought of it until you phrased it that way. It's so true. That honest curiosity is usually very welcome. I think so. And you probably just uh, presented the best um, intro into one of those conversations that I've ever heard, which is, uh, you know, you can preface it. You can say, I do not want to offend you. And I apologize if I do, but, but, you know, I genuinely am curious. Um, and I, I think that's, that's probably the perfect way to start any conversation, really. Um, probably true. That's just wise wisdom, isn't it? Like, just... Yeah. That'd be yeah, a good rule just, of thumb for most humans. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because at least you're saying, okay, I'm sensitive enough to understand that, you know, what I'm saying, um, you know, might be offensive. Oh, sorry. My thing is dinging. Apologize. Um, but yes, you're starting a conversation off just the way you just said is, is probably the, the most perfect way to go about it. So what, what is one thing you would want people to know who feel afraid of people who are different than them? That we are all still so much more alike than we are different. This is what I have, I have seen while I've been out there. Everybody wants to live in relative safety. Everybody. Everybody wants to be able to care for themselves and their loved ones, their family and their friends. Everybody wants to be able to do something with their time that's meaningful to them, whether that's through a career, through an avocation, whatever it happens to be. Uh, All of us, everywhere around the world I've been, I have seen that in in every culture and every group. So if you can hold on to those things, 
um, start there. We'll start with that as, as a, just a, a base, basic philosophy and belief system, and then, and then branch out uh, and learn a few words and, you know, in that language. That helps. Yeah, I was going to ask you about the language barrier. How have you overcome that? Because you don't go with a translator. I do not. Um, one of the, well, now with the digital technological age, we're so much better off than we were even 15 years ago when it comes to language barriers. Because when you've got things that can translate on your phone, boy, howdy, that's a big help. But my rule of thumb for me is that I, I learn the basic phrases. I learn please, thank you. Where can I find food? How do I get back to my hotel? Or this is my address, my hotel, my whatever. You learn basic, uh, basic phrases. And then, and this has always done it for me, I always make sure I learn to say, I'm sorry, I don't speak X, Y, or Z, whatever it happens to be. I'm sorry, I don't speak, blah, blah, blah. And that has garnered me more goodwill than just about anything else I could have said, because it it at least communicates the idea that I am sensitive to the language barrier. I'm not going to run up to them and just start speaking slowly and loudly in English. <laughs> they understand, which is the running joke when you travel internationally. It's oh, the, I'm sure. It, it's the, you know, it's the Westerners that just think if you talk slow enough and loud enough, they're going to get it. Um, <laughs> you know, some, some actually will, some won't, but, but when you when you signal that you have done your best to learn enough to say I'm sorry I don't speak more, I people have gone out of their way um, to accommodate me, and it opens up really great moments. I've had really great moments all over the world where I've started a conversation that way, and it turned into a miniature language lesson, whether it was with you know a waiter or the old woman who runs the restaurant or the you know, people at the table next to you. It, it really does start things that, that lead to fun cultural exchanges. Um, but that's it. And sometimes it is just a problem and you have no idea, you know? And those right. can be fun because you go on misadventures. But, um, but I've, it's, it's never been a huge problem. Even Southeast Asia, the language families are tonal. And changing the tone of a word doesn't mean you've changed the word a little. It means you're saying a totally different word. Oh, wow. So when I started trying to learn the basic phrases in, in Vietnamese, Lao, or Thai, um, I was getting them wrong. You're going to get them wrong. And that's probably the, the first thing you have to understand is you're going to get it wrong. People will appreciate that you're trying. Mm. They will absolutely appreciate that you're making an effort. And that's the most important thing. So get it wrong, mess it up. You know, I ran around Lao for days. I am, um, one of the other phrases I try to learn to say is, I'm sorry, I don't understand in that language. I don't understand. But I was changing the tone on the word for I. And instead of saying I for days, someone who was, was bilingual told me later, he said, actually, what you're saying instead of I is the polite word for phallus. It's the polite, the polite word for penis. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> well, that'll break the so, ice real quick. <laughs> that'll do it. Uh, but to their credit, nobody I said that to laughed or Aww. made fun of. Now, now maybe they, maybe I left the room or the restaurant or the whatever, and they <laughs> fell on the floor. I don't know. I really don't know. But I got it horrendously wrong for quite a while, and, and nobody, um, nobody ridiculed me for it. People... People got that I was genuinely making an effort. <laughs> uh, so, you know, but if you're doing tonal languages and we don't do that, yeah, it's going to be it's gonna be rough. Right, right. <laughs> oh, my gosh. That's a great story, though. Like, just the fact that that was the word just makes the story even that much better. Oh, yeah. Like, you know, phallus, phallus don't understand. I'm sorry. Yeah. Oh, that's hysterical. <laughs> okay, so I have to ask a more broader question for you. So I've noticed that we as Americans tend to want to Americanize everything we touch. So when people are here, we want them to do things our way. We want them to understand our cultures, especially if you're in the Christian sect, you're ready to like dunk them, baptize them, get them saved and the whole thing. <laughs> and so when you travel other cultures, do they try to make you part of their culture and part of their way of doing things or 
are is that unique to Americans? I think the degree to which we do it is unique to Americans, but people in other cultures certainly appreciate it if you would do certain things their way. And some of the things I'm thinking of are pretty trivial, like, um, you know, in Asia, no shoes inside buildings, no shoes inside houses. So if you you go into a guest house um, or a hotel, especially a small boutique place, they really would like you to take off your shoes and only walk around in bare feet inside. Um, a lot of Americans insist on not doing that. And frankly, it's just disrespectful and rude to the housekeepers mm-hmm. and the owners. Um, but that's a, that's a pretty trivial thing. Um, I have noticed that if you do something that falls in line with their customs or rituals, they're appreciative. But on the broad level, I've never had anybody try to convert me to anything else. Um, I was told in, in uh, Laos that if a, a Western woman buys um, a traditional Laos skirt, a straight A-line, very pretty wraparound skirt that's worn by virtually everybody, uh, that Laotians very much appreciate that. And they really enjoy it when people do try to um, incorporate some of their own styles and traditions into their existence, at least while they're there. It shows an appreciation for the culture. Um, but no, I can't say that, that, uh, that anyone else really is, is much more gung-ho about, um, you know, spreading their culture and their faith or their whatever it is as, as quite as much as we are. Well, and do you think that's because we're a fairly young country? Because a lot of these places you're traveling, I mean, they have so much history behind them and so much wisdom comes from so much history behind you. So do you think that's it? Or do you think that there's another reason why we're like that? I hadn't thought about it in those terms. There may be something to that in that we, although we have certainly um, made our mark on the world, we still want to stake that claim. I happen to think again, from just an anthropological point of view that it has more to do with ethnocentricity than it does most other things um, in that virtually every group, you know, in, in the history of humanity tends to focus in on itself and, and think itself um, more important or superior to others. That's not necessarily unique to us. That's a, a part of, of human, um, of, of being human and of, coming out of, of uh, tribal communities. Mm. That's something that's pretty darn deeply ingrained. Um, but I sense that some of that is just um, our desire, or I won't even say desire because I don't think that's actually still a valid argument. I think it's just the fact that um, we tend to think of, of our culture in many ways as superior to others, mm. uh, even when... My personal point of view is that it's not, but but that kind of um, but that kind of mentality is very hard to shake culturally, generationally speaking, because it's deeply ingrained. Yeah, it is, and I think that's what connected it for me with the young part of our countries because it feels so adolescent. Um, I have a teenage daughter, and that is part of the teenage years is they, it's all about them. They're the best at everything. They know everything. God forbid you give them a lick of advice because they have the answer already for you. So when I think about our country, I've thought of it in those terms that we are kind of like this teenager syndrome. And when you look at our age compared to other countries, it kind of fits. And so I was just curious if you had seen that as well, or if that's just something I've been wandering in my own brain about. No, I think there's something to it. It certainly seems valid because, it, yeah, it is. It is logical. We're still the, uh, you know, the international adolescent. <laughs> yes. Um, particularly because we have such a mixed pot. I was thinking of other countries that, as countries, as nation states, are even younger than us, like Italy. Mm-hmm. You know, Italy formed as a nation state after the United States did, but there had been, but there's been. Um, a much more homogenized culture there for so much longer. Right. And, and yeah, we come up and we're, we're a little bit of everything. And, and, uh, you know, for many 
many years coming out of a, of a revolution, you know, the kids have the chip on their shoulder. Right. So what are some ways that you think Americans, we as Americans can do a better job at understanding and being more open to different ideas and different cultures? Travel. Mm-hmm. Um, even, I knew you might say that. <laughs> <laughs> travel as much as possible. Um, and I, and I, sometimes I hear people out there right now probably going, well, yeah, well, I can't afford it. Great. I can't go to the other side of the world right now, whatever it is. Um, go somewhere in your own city once in a while. You, you don't have to travel internationally to do this. Go somewhere in your own city, in your own state. You can keep it close to home and still experience a drastically different culture. You don't have to go to the other side of the world, but um, travel and have real conversations. You know, try to have genuine conversations, and they don't have to be particularly heavy conversations. It can be about anything um, with people who who don't look like you, who don't sound like you, who whatever it is, because it's that kind of, uh, I call it grassroots diplomacy, that I think makes the biggest difference. It's not going to change the world overnight, but it really all does start with two people having a conversation, trying to be open enough to understand the context in which the other exists. Um, I think that can make all the difference in the world because it's, it's, it's not going to change all of us right away, but we don't all need to be changed right away. It starts with each one of us individually. Right. And being in those conversations, being open-handed to where you don't have a desire to make them like you, but instead you're willing to posture yourself in a teachable way that says, teach me about you. And I think that that's something a lot of people don't realize that they do. It's like a subconscious thing here where we go in and we think, like you said, we're superior, whether we're aware that we think that or not, we can tend to approach things with, well, our way is better way. We don't take our shoes off inside and that's better. So why don't you just do it our way? You know, that kind of an attitude, but going to places in in our cities with that openness to say, okay, I'm going to respect your culture and your ways. I just want to learn about you. And that goes so far. Yeah, it does. Yes, it does. I mean, even more so than we think just talking about it, it really does create a connection. I've had people um, in different neighborhoods in Los Angeles. I've spent over the last couple of years, quite a bit of time in, in neighborhoods that where people look nothing like me. Um, and it's, it's either, to me, it was a great compliment, but it's also kind of a, a sad statement that I've had men. I, the last person who said it was a large black man in a neighborhood where I, I clearly do not look like anyone else. Thank me for walking up to him on a street and having a conversation with him mm. because most of the white women who, who, are near him, like clutch their bags and keep walking. <laughs> mm. um, so it, it doesn't have to be that you approach a total stranger and, and say, hey, tell me about your, you know, your core philosophy in your life and everything about you. It can be a superficial conversation and it makes more difference than we think at the time. It really does. Um, Gosh, that's so good. Yeah. That is so good. So you're in Los Angeles right now, right? Mm-hmm. So when do you take off again and where are you going? Uh, well, not related to the Peregrine Dame. I'll be in Mexico City in May uh, on a reporting trip that's organized through my university. Um, although I have also applied, <laughs> fingers crossed, for a, a news internship to let me stay in Mexico City the rest of the summer. So <laughs> oh, wow. if things go the way I want, I'll be in, uh, in Mexico for a while. Um, and that would be lovely. As far as the Peregrine Dame goes, we will be finishing editing. We. I just mean my various personalities. <laughs> I will finish editing um, within the next year uh, on the last episode shot in Southeast Asia. And then if I can fund the next season, uh, the Middle East. Oh, so good. Dying, yeah, I'm dying to go. So, well, dying to go back, I should say, I have, I shot, when this was a web series, I filmed a few episodes in Israel years ago, and uh, I'm dying to go back there, but I'm also itching to get into some of the other uh, countries and regions. Mm. So that's, that will be the next season of the, of the series. Um, but with public media, everything hinges on funding, and the public media landscape can be tricky that way. 
Yes, yes. And you have on your website, right? People can donate towards the next season through your website, uh, right? Yes. Yeah, there's a Patreon campaign. So if anybody feels like chipping in a buck or two, it all helps. Um, it seems frivolous, but it's not. It, it all really does help. So if people want to go over to theperegrindame.com, uh, they're encouraged to. And there's all kinds of fun, silly stuff that doesn't make it into the episodes on the website, too. Yes, I've seen some of that content. It's great. It's absolutely great. Okay, so tell people where they can find you. Mention your website again, and if there's any other social media outlets they can find you on. Uh, you can theperegrindame.com, um, Facebook, The Peregrine Dame, Twitter, para, at Peregrine Dame. Instagram is uh, at me, I think, at Rachel Parsons, Rachel D. So I'm terrible at, I'm clearly terrible at all of the social media. I can't remember my own handles. <laughs> they can find me in those. Um, and then if, if anybody's curious, I do quite a bit of freelance reporting around LA uh, at, on Twitter at Rachel D. Parsons. If anybody's curious about the kinds of things I like to cover when I'm not doing travel. I love it. I love it. And I will put links to your uh, website through my show notes. So that'll be easy for people to, to link on and click on and find you that way too. Rachel, thank you so much for taking time to chat with me. And, and I'm sure this goes abroad with everyone that's listening. It is just a joy to listen to you and to pick your brain and to hear just this wealth of perspective and insight that you have and that you're able to share. It's just a gift. So thank you. Thank you, and it's been great. I really appreciate it. Hey there. I hope you enjoyed the conversation today. You can find my blog and links to my Instagram and Facebook account on my website at justajesusfollower.com. I hope you join us next week for another raw, honest conversation. In the meantime, go in peace and know that you are enough.